Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, everybody, welcome to Bar Fights. I am beginning this show laughing because I have a funny, adorable, very, very handsome (laughs) man on our show today. I can't wait to introduce you guys. You may already know who he is, Um, one of the most famous professional boxers of all time, gentlemen, Jerry Cooney, um, totally fabulous fighter, lucrative matches, heavyweight champion matches, all of the things. Um, And he's here today to talk about a book that he has out now. It is called Gentleman Jerry, A Contender in the Ring a champion in recovery. He has a show on Sirius XM. I'm so pumped to have him here today. Jerry, welcome to Bar Fights. Hey, I like the name of that. I, I like the name of that. I want to say... My, I was in my chair. I think I named this show subconsciously after you. We've got the bar. We've got the fights. We've got, you know, we've got the all the stuff, the ring, um, I love that metaphor about getting in the ring and conquering all the old, yeah. you know, shitty stuff we've gone through in the past. Jerry, I'm so happy you're here. You are so sweet to do this. You're freaking famous as can be. Um, I'm just honored. So, so start back in the day. How? And we talked a little bit before the show, but how did you get into boxing and what was going on in your life that, that led you into the ring metaphorically and literally? You know, you also, you were saying something pretty good about what gets us here. The other thing was that, uh, you know, I had to, I get knocked down, had to get up, dust my pants off and move on and turn the page and let go. Uh, you know, I, I come from a, an Irish Catholic family, uh, five brothers and sisters. Uh, my father was a raging alcoholic, angry, you know, because he was grew up that way. And unfortunately, he didn't get any kind of help for it. He had to pay to support six kids and was angry as hell and drank all the time. And so we all had a hiding place in the house. Mine was in the basement. Mm. And uh, how I became a boxer was I have an older brother who I was out in the bar. I was like 17. He was like 20. And somebody, he was, it was crowded and he bumped into this guy twice and the guy stood up. He was bigger than my brother and told my brother to go outside. That was a bad mistake. He did that kid. And so my brother took him outside and I saw my brother hit him with a right hand to the body and the left hook on the chin and knock him cold and knock the wind out of him. And it was almost like the guy was dying. I had to tell my brother, let's get out of here. And from then on, he started boxing and I followed him to the gym. And uh, I remember, listen, the first time I went to the gym, I said, I want to fight that guy. And they put me in the ring with this guy. And now 
I had only been hitting the heavy bag. I didn't know about somebody coming at me and I got tired and the guy knocked me around the gym. So I quit. And three days later at 15 and a half, I went downstairs in my basement, hit the bag, realizing someone's going to come on me. And I went back to the gym and asked that, if I could box that kid again. And that kid couldn't do that to me again. And then went on to win the state championships a couple of times. Was on the United States team. Uh, you know, had a lot of fun, a lot of knockouts. I traveled a lot. And, you know, you know, in my whole career, I've seen the world. You know, we, we get that. We're so lucky we get to travel and see the world. Yeah. And you then became one of the most famous boxers of literally all time. But you said before you, you, who wants to become a boxer, right? You said it was maybe, you know, a coping mechanism for you. Tell me more about that. You know, know, that's a, that's a great analogy. And yeah, boxing helped me to express my anger. Mm -hmm. What was going on in my home? And then they put my picture in the paper and then I won. And I remember the first year at 16, Herman Sporting Goods said, if you win the gloves, we'll give you a heavy bag. So that morning before they even opened up, I was at Herman Sporting Goods waiting for my heavy bag. And so that's how it happened for me. And then I continued to go along and my brother took a different path. And I stayed in the amateurs and I won the Golden Gloves twice. I made it to the finals three times. I uh, fought over in Europe. I made it to the finals of the Olympic trials, Sarah. And what happened to me was that, uh, you know, I had four knockouts in Europe. I came back. I knocked out the third-ranked Russian heavyweight champ. I get a phone call telling me that I made it to the finals of the Olympic trials in 76, way before you were born. And I told him, I'm sorry, I can't make it. And he said to me, what? He asked me three times. I said, I'm sorry. My father's very sick. I have to stay close to my family. I'm not going to make it. Before he hung up, he asked me again. He hung up the phone. That was 10% true. 90% was, I'm not good enough. Why am I going to go make an ass of myself, not look good, lose to these guys? And I didn't, I didn't take that opportunity, which was the biggest opportunity of my life. I would give anything for it today. And I pray, Sarah, that I meet somebody along the road that I can help take them by the arm and say, come on, kid, let's pay attention. Yeah. Let's take a shot. Let's see how yeah. far you can really go. And so I self-sabotaged myself. And then again, you know, in, in my championship fight with Larry Holmes, one of the best heavy, you know, I have a radio show on Sirius XM called Out the Fight, and we did a, a breakdown of the heavyweight division through history. Larry Holmes came in second to Muhammad Ali. I went 13 rounds with him. We had a, a great time. We didn't like each other much back then, but afterwards we became, we're the closest of friends right now. Yeah. So anyway, here's the story, Sarah. So it's May 11th, 1981. I'm ranked one in the world as a professional fighter. I'm fighting Kenny Norton. Now, you don't know that guy. You're so young. (laughs) Ken Norton was uh, the man. And he's number And I'm fighting him for the chance. Whoever wins goes to the fight Larry Holmes. I'm in the best shape of my life that night. I could have beat Holmes, I believe. That's how good a shape I was. Uh, And so I go out. The bell rings. I dance around. I always like to hit you with a shot to let you feel my power. I hit him with the right hand to the body. He buckled a little bit, right? So that felt pretty good to me. So I said, let me take a shot. So I worked him into the corner. And 54 seconds into that first round, on every paper the next day on the front page, not the back page, it said four punches from death. 
And I believe that would have happened if I had let, if I had let it go on any longer. So you think that night, you know, um, one in the world, I'm getting a shot at Larry Holmes. You think I would say, well, I better get a trainer. I better get a nutritionist. I got to get a conditioning coach. That's not what happened. I started drinking that night. Oh, my God. And I threw it all away out of fear or out of, I was told I wasn't good enough. I can't make it. And it it just, so rather than me not make it, I failed. I I sabotaged myself. Now, I see, uh, I'm going to just keep talking to you. I see at-risk kids, and I go and see them, and I teach them boxing and through boxing. I teach them about self-esteem and about if you can box, you can do anything. And um, right before they're just ready to shine, they take a rock and they throw it right into the motor. I don't know if you can identify with that. That's what I do. That's what dysfunctional people do. People who are afraid, people who don't uh, don't have the experience, doesn't have, you know, the, the, the background. And that's what happened to me. And I fight Larry Holmes 13 months later, not in the best of shape. I get stopped in the 13th round. And I was to find out that Larry Holmes, his whole boxing career, never drank, never smoked, never took a drug. I started drinking at 12. Wow. But I'm, I'm glad to say that April 21st, 1988 was the last time I had a drink. That was 34, over 34 years ago. Wow. Congratulations on that. That's, you, that's huge. So that self-sabotage piece, I can identify with so much and that inner voice that tells you you're not good enough, you're nothing. But that comes from somewhere, right? It, was that yep. something that came from your father? Um, did it? Wh- where did that voice originate from, do you think? Well, I think my father, in his uh, uh, drunkenness and abuse and neglect, he kept us down. Yeah. And the way to keep you down is to tell you you're not good enough. You yeah. can't make it. Don't trust nobody. Don't tell nobody about what's going on in the house. Yeah. That's what happens. And you go on not saying it. Now, years yeah. later, when I was 17, he built a ring in the backyard. And he used to have me box him out there. And my mother would keep time. Now, I couldn't hit him. I probably could have kicked his ass. But I couldn't hit him. And I regretted that. Because I would have liked to have knocked him right on his butt. Yeah. And I never did it. Yeah. And then years later, I ran into somebody who did do it and feels lousy about it. So I'm glad it happened the way it did. And I forgave my father so I could get on with my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a big I... story. It's a bit that takes a lot of time to forgive my father so I can turn the page and get on with my life. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, turning to alcohol, I think, in the wake of having been abused as a child is very, very common. And I think a lot of my listeners can relate to that, especially male victims of abuse who, you know, come to think, oh, I could, you know, I couldn't protect myself. I must not be tough. I must not be masculine enough. And so they start, in your case, fighting. Um, At least you could make it into some sort of a professional career. But I think a lot of people just fight in bars and, you know, that kind of thing. But then the drinking, because you don't want to have to feel your feelings, (laughs) A lot and they of don't times, show right? up for life. Yeah. And they don't show up for life. Yeah. And they do something menial, not, not really important. They don't strive to be the best. They want to be safe all their lives. And that doesn't give you much. 
Yeah, you're right. So what was that turning point for you? When did you sort of have that moment of, I can't keep living like this. I'm going to lose what I've built. I'm going to, I have to actually respect myself and care about myself in order to live the life that I actually deserve. Well, that's a great question, Sarah. And you know what? I kept trying to fix everybody. I kept trying to pick them up and make them better. And I thought through that process, I would be able to understand, but never worked out because that person has to pick themselves up. Like just as much as as I did, I had to pick myself up, dust off my pants and move on. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a process. I mean, you know, I had alcohol didn't work no more. It was no fun. So I had to face that. And I faced it all alone. This beautiful house I had in the Hamptons. And I woke up one day saying, what happened to you, man? Are you kidding me? And I decided to quit that day. And then I went about my day. The next day, I woke up the same way, hungover, 20 minutes to 11. And that was the day that I really um, made a commitment to work at changing the way I looked at myself and how I saw things and to open up and allow people into my life. I couldn't trust anybody. I couldn't believe in anybody. When the very closest people in my life were kept disappointing me, I kept trying to fix them and fix them. Come on, don't you get it? Fix them, fix them, fix them. And they don't get fixed because they have to fix themselves. And and I didn't get that at the time. I figured, you know, I got it's my job. My mother yeah. kind of put me in that role that I got to fix them and make it better and, you know, help them out. And, you know, and, and that doesn't never work. You got to learn it yourself. Yep. Absolutely. You want to fight? You think you want to fight me? Yeah. (laughs) Right? 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 Oh, my God. You should see my face. I'm like, oh, (laughs) you are. You are so adorable, though, for anybody listening to this show. Like, I was a little nervous to meet one of the most famous big deal boxers of all time. A little intimidated. I'm just a little teeny tiny thing. And there you are. You are the sweetest. Your smile could light up a room. Um, I'm just so happy to be here with you. So you had that day, you woke up and you said, today, I'm going to change my life. Um, what was, what did that process look like? Did it look like therapy? Did it look like AA? Did it look like getting a new set of friends? Did it look like boundaries with the people who had hurt you? How did you begin talking about what had happened to you and really starting to heal? You know, it's really a great story. We have a lot of great stories today. So Someone once told me, when you close your eyes, what do you see? And I said, I see a big black hole. And they said, okay, now you got to start going in that hole. And my thought was, are you crazy? I am never going in that hole. But in order to find the peace, and the, uh, I got to pull it out, and I got to pull it out, and I got to pull it out, and then it wasn't so frightening anymore. And then I could write about it. I could pray on it. I could talk to somebody about it. And it started to make sense. And I found out that I wasn't broken. I was bruised. And I was supposed to be. So it it allowed me to start to look and start to ask for help and and read about different books. I remember uh, uh, a great book I read was, um, uh, well, so many great books I read, but uh, John Bradshaw, he put out a book, 
can't remember the name of it, but uh, there's a great bunch of books that I read and I learn about ridding myself of, of that stuff so I can be more of who I'm supposed to be. And I'm lucky. I'm a happy guy. I got a great family. I got great kids. And, um, uh, you know, I'm doing what I want to do. Most of the time, I still got that boogeyman comes back in my head once in a while. I call it, Sarah, the itty bitty shitty committee. <laughs> yeah. And it comes out and it makes me feel like, makes me remember the past, some of the dumb things I did and the things I said and the people I hurt. And then I feel, oh man. And then I read this book and it said, it's called The Untethered Soul. And it said, what we do as people, as we grab it and we hold on to it and we inspect it and we look it over, how we're right, how they're wrong. And it said, just let it pass through you. It's already over. And then there's another book called Drop the Rock. And it's about just people trying to get on the boat. And this one lady's drowning because she has a rock in, around her neck. It's all her problems and her uh, you know, fears and loneliness. And, and the people on the boat are saying, drop the rock, drop the rock. And that's another, you know, great, a great analogy, a great way to look at it. And a lot of people can't do it. You know, I was at a meeting one time with this big, tough friend of mine. Let's say his name, Jack Burnett, New York. He was a tough guy. He ran a strip joint. He collected money. And he's at this, uh, at this detox place. And there was 80 disheveled men. And he told them, the first thing he says, listen, most of you are not going to make it this time this year, by next year. You're not going to make it. And I thought, why would you say that to them? So after the meeting, I went up to him and said, Jack, what did you say that for? Do you know what he told me? Because it's the truth. And I thought to myself in that moment, that chair is mine. You're not going to take that chair from me. And I kicked and I scratched and I avoided it. And I had to do some really serious work. And I went out to my Hamptons house thinking I'm going to do it. And I'm out there weeding the garden. I never weeded the garden in my life. <laughs> rather than looking at myself, I'd rather weed the garden and fix the rocks. Mm -hmm. And that's the fight that we're in. And that we have to surrender to it or else we don't live, we exist. And it's like, it's like the same, you know, life. If we don't look at it and open the book and take the pages out and find ourselves and look at the help. We don't live. We just waste our time. That's the sad part. And we only get this one shot, right? Well, yeah, I, mean, I have a do-over. I, mean, I got a do-over. Yeah. But there's no more do-overs. There's no more practice runs. Yeah. This is the big one. And I have to show up and I want to show up. I want more of this freedom I have, more intimacy, more love, less fear, less anxiety. That's all built in with this. I am blown away. And I think for people listening, especially men and male clients that I've had that have suffered some kind of abuse or addiction or whatever, they carry so much shame around it because they see it as having something to do with how tough they are or how masculine they are. And here you are, arguably one of the toughest mother effers of all time, and oh. you are 
in touch with yourself and your feelings and your spirit. Did you ever struggle with, if I start talking about this stuff, people are going to think I'm not as tough as they used to, or cause you're a big public figure, right? How did you handle that? No, I, I feel like a tough guy telling the truth. Yeah. Telling the truth and letting people understand that it's okay. And that it doesn't matter what people think. Yeah. It's that I love me. Yeah. I want more. And um, that's the gift. And to be able to give that gift, sometimes I get off the phone with people who struggle. And I think to myself, where did that come from? How did I say that to them? And that's from putting the work in. That's from looking. And that's from, uh, you know, I mean, that's from uh, my God. That's because my channel is open. He helps me to send it in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's coming through you. Yeah. And uh, that's the deal. Like, you know, I wasn't supposed to be here where I'm at today. And I I can say most, a lot of those guys that I was fighting back then, I was supposed to fight them. They're not here anymore. So I never won the title. I had a lot of great fights. I couldn't get the experience I needed. I needed four or five other top guys before I fought Holmes. But King wouldn't give them to me. Mm. So I didn't get that experience. So I get stopped in 13 round by Holmes, but save my brains. Oh, unless you talk to my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? Listen, you know, I'm, uh, I love life, man. I love leaving people laughing. I love, uh, you know, I, I still, I, it's been 40 years. I never won the title. You know, people still call me all the time. Can you come here? Can you fire? Can you do that? Because I give everybody a hard time and then they laugh at the end and then they want me back. How do yeah. you beat that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, your energy is contagious. You're one of those special, remarkable people that just lights the world on fire. You're Excuse lighting. Me? I said, you're just what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. You're just kidding me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. To be I feel it. I feel I'm it. grateful to be on you today. Yeah. And I feel I'm not perfect. Yeah. I still got my flaws, but they, the, the downtime is not so long. Yeah. I love that. You just, I love that. You keep the recovery time, right? When that voice comes back in, your ability to get back up and, and move back into that place of self love and self respect. Well, um, like quicker. Yeah. The book yeah. Says, tell me about the book. Tell me no, about no, not the book. My book. I'm talking oh. about the untethered soul where it oh. says, just let it go by. And I yeah. thought that day when I read that, oh, that will never work for me. Yeah. And three times that day, I was confronted with situations and I let it go. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I love that. I, Don't you're the say second. boom. That, that makes, oh, when you say boom, it's like a bell. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, I just got to see Gentleman Jerry with his fists up that hook. Oh my <laughs> gosh, my listeners are jealous right now. This is his. Uh, you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. I don't want no trouble with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's talk about your book, Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. How did you decide to write a book? Um, what was that process like? And, um, and tell me, tell me about what we learn in the book. Well, you know, I felt like the, the story needed to be told. I felt like people were coming to me about doing a book 
And then I got this guy who was a psychologist and I figured it would be cool with him. So we sat down and we talked about it. We spent a lot of time together and read and looked. And, um, you know, we, uh, we wrote the book. And, and so he was this like, like, I don't know how you want to put it. You know, therapists, therapists are like, well, you know, so nicey, right? I, had, I was a tough ass. I was a hard ass. My book wasn't like a wussy. I had to, I had to read it to toughen to toughen it up to who I was. Yeah. So you know, listen. Did I make mistakes? Did I go down the wrong road? Did I, you know, not train properly for the home site? Yes. But I didn't have any other buddy to help me. I had a bunch of great guys that I grew up with, but they didn't know any better. You know, the thing is, we attract how we feel about ourselves, right? So when I was feeling that way, I was attracting these guys who had weren't getting along with their parents, were were, were trouble kids, and uh, for whatever reason, and so we didn't we did the best we could. Listen, there was a lot of racism going on between Holmes and I. Had nothing to do with him, had nothing to do with me. But I'm out in Vegas in Palm Springs eating lobster tail and turtle soup with seven guys I grew up with. There's no racism. I mean, yeah. I'm a poor guy from New York. I'm I'm in Las Vegas living in a giant suite, you know, that the everyone's kissing my ass and I'm eating like, you know, and but and he he was the same way. But he was angry at me and I was angry at him. But the big thing in heavyweight boxing or sportsmanship is when we got to the center of the ring that night and Mills Lane was giving us instructions, Holmes looked at me and said, Jerry, let's have a good fight tonight. Oh. And that's heavyweight boxing. Yeah. I'm almost mad that he said that because I was so angry with him that when he said that, it kind of calmed me down a little bit. But that being said, dear, I hate to tell you, in your air-conditioned gyms and all that, it was 120 degrees that night in Las Vegas when oh we fought God. the hottest night of the year. Yes, that's what I was thinking. And uh, But anyway, it was a great fight. We had a, I don't know why we didn't have a rematch. We should have. Had we had a rematch, I probably would have been in better shape. And ready to handle it, but I fought one of the best heavyweights in history. In history, number two, yeah, next to next to Ali, yeah. And and I got to go thirteen rounds with him, and he knew I was there with him. Yeah, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, had a good career after that fight. I couldn't stand my management. They hated each other. And I was in the middle all the time. Don King was no good. I couldn't wait to get away. And then my career was never the same again. I kind of disappeared and traveled the world. I remember going to Africa. I went to Central America when, you know, you know, I remember the HBO was doing a special on me. And one of the songs I asked him to play was uh, by John Lennon. I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. And that's how my life was so fast. I had to sit down and just take a break yeah. for a while. Yeah. And that's, you know, when, they thought I should be back in the ring, but it was not really, uh, life was catching up to me Yeah. at that time. And I needed some time to figure something out and the process went on. And then we, you know, pulled it together. I, I, uh, I met a beautiful girl. We have two great kids. I have three children and, um, the, the, I have a 34 year old son. Thank I wasn't married to her. Thank God she'd be living in my house. And asked me if I could use the pool. I'd be asking <laughs> if I could use the pool. Anyway, so I have a great son, 34. My 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 other son is an engineer. He uh 
He's uh, 24. My daughter's 21. 5'11", my Sarah. 6'4", Jackson. 6'3", Christopher. And they're great. And I've got to, I got to teach them to fight. I got to teach them what life is about. And, and there's nothing like it in the world. Those hours and those moments you spend together with your kids is so beautiful. Do you have any children? Yes, I have two beautiful daughters. Um, and I think that's another. You for another? <laughs> I'm too old. I am too old. I'm going to be 43 this year. So too old. But, you know, I think that's one of the other reasons why we need to snap out of it if we're struggling or we're addicted or we're, you know, not loving ourselves is to do it better for our kids. Right. And it's, you know, Sarah, uh, 99% of the world is putting our kids down. Mm -hmm. We have to pick them up. And I get Mm -hmm. so angry when I talk to somebody who's got a drinking problem and it's affecting their kids. Yeah. They didn't ask to come in this world. They didn't ask to come here. You have no right to put them through that, to change their life for the worse. Yeah. So they're going to grow up and they're going to meet someone just like you and get married and have the same issues. Not you. I'm talking about them. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you get me, right? Yes, totally. Like, you know, they, no, they, they're going to grow up and they're going to meet the same husband who's a knucklehead all because you're too selfish. And yep. I keep saying you, but I mean them. Yep. Yep. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. Like attracts like, right? Um, so so if you want to fight, I'll fight you. I <laughs> want to fight, I'll fight you. <laughs> you are too cute. You are too cute. Um, so what are you up to today? You're on Sirius XM. Are you yeah. doing motivational speaking? You have this beautiful book. You're enjoying your kids. What is life like for, for the legend that is you today? All right, I'll tell you the truth, okay? Can I tell you? I tell just had tr- a cold brew. I just had a cold brew. So, <laughs> but I'm like that anyway. Listen, I'm, I have great, I have a gym. I'm training eight or 10 people that I like, and I build self-esteem in them. I make them like themselves, have confidence, have the courage, all the things that I didn't have growing up, all the things. And in, in that process, as they develop that, I feel it. And some part of me feels healed. Yes. You understand that? Yes. And that's a gift. And that's a real gift. And, and so that's what I'm, uh, I do. I travel a lot. I do speak a lot. I, I, um, I'm busy. I'm busy as hell. I, you know, I, like I said, you know, like, yes, I'm going places. I'm doing good things. And, uh, I love what I do. You know, I help people. I help people have better lives. I help people figure it out you know that's the story i heard that somebody say can you help me they said and i said to myself that night you mean you can say that here and i've been asking that question ever since you guys gentlemen jerry cooney not just a boxer, but an amazing human being who is affecting lives, has affected lives. Sir, it has been an honor. I hope our paths will cross again. Yeah. I know they will. Um, it's, it's really a pleasure to meet you. And I, I have, have enjoyed this time immensely. Thank you so much. Mwah. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Thank you. Thank Great you. Great to be with you. Okay.
You too. Big hugs, big kisses until we meet Thanks, again, Mary. my friend. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.